This is the Light and Life Podcast. I'm Brett Heinzman. Today, Jeff Finley has a conversation with Bishop Joe Ablahara, president of the World Free Methodist Church, about his new book, The Parousia Prognosis. The book focuses on the return of Christ through the lens of what Jesus himself said in the Gospels. His book is available now at freemethodistbooks.com with all proceeds going to ministries in India, which is home to Bishop Lahara. And now, let's hear from Jeff Finley and Bishop Lahara. I'm excited to be speaking with Bishop Dr. Joab Lahara, an international leader and educator who is the president of the Free Methodist World Conference and the founding chairman of Emmanuel Educational Academy in India. He's a humanitarian and a former, former journalist. For the sake of time, I won't list all of your many academic degrees and accomplishments, Bishop Joab, but I will say that you're the author of the new book, The Perusia Prognosis, that is available for order through the Light and Life bookstore at freemethodistbooks.com. Did I say Perusia right? Perusia. <laughs> Perusia. <laughs> I, I will admit that's not a word that's normally in my vocabulary. So right, I right, look right. in the dictionary uh, when I started reading the book. Uh, so let's talk about the title, actually. I'm assuming I'm not the only person who's uh, not familiar with that word. I'm not a trained theologian. Can you explain what it means and why you chose it uh, instead of saying the second coming prognosis or the end times prognosis, something like that? Thank you, Jeff, for this great time to be together and to be talking about my new book. In fact, this is my 21st book. Wow. I'm excited. I'm excited about that. Many people say, why this new word, parousia, instead of uh, second coming or the end time uh, appearance of the Lord? None of these words are there in the scriptures. Second coming is not there. But what is not there has become popular. What is there has, has been uh, concealed to the common uh, public. The, the word parousia is a beautiful Greek word, which simply means personal presence, a physical presence of someone, arrival of a person, or an official visit of a dignitary. If we say second coming of Christ or the return of Christ, it does not denote the same understanding. Parousia is when the Lord would personally return in clouds of glory, in the great power and glory. There are several uh, terms used in the New Testament in association with the return of Christ, such as erkomai, which means uh, the judgment of the Lord, a specific coming, apocalypsis, which means the revelation of God at different times, epiphania, appearance with signs and wonders, and also Maranatha, with reference to his coming. But the second coming is not just one event taking place at a particular time. Second coming incorporates a lot of things with signs and wonders, wars and rumors of wars, preaching of the gospel to all nations, plagues and pestilences like we have the pandemic now, astronomical perturbations, appearance of the Antichrist, all this involves the second coming. This is a part of the, all this is a part of the second coming, but the parousia is when the Lord is finally here. 
how can I explain it better, Jeff? Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, announcement about the parousia of Bishop Matt White, Bishop, Bishop Matt Whitehead, to India. Let's say that. Now, we say uh, the Free Methodist Communications Department announced uh, Bishop Matt Whitehead is doing his parousia to India on the October the 2nd. Okay? Now, the preparation may start a week ago, week before, or two weeks before. The parousia has begun. Now, on the 1st of October, he may board the plane. The parousia has uh, started. Now, after six hours, he is airborne. The parousia, it is not called parousia. It is the coming of Bishop Matt Whitehead. Until he arrives, lands on, on the ground in Hyderabad, his parousia does not take place. This is why I love this word, the physical presence of Christ when he is here on the earth, again, physically present. That's why I wanted to use this word parousia, the glorious coming of Christ. Excellent explanation, and I really appreciate uh, that analogy. Uh, I'm sure Bishop Whitehead is listening, so he will appreciate it as well. Uh, what led you to write this book, and who is the primary audience? Is it primarily intended for theologians, for pastors? Is it for average church people, or is it for everyone? Uh, Jeff, uh, the theologians, I think, understand this, okay. though, though, though they may not overtly talk about it. Pastors, most of them understand this. I would like this to go to the common readership. Everyone who has a hope of meeting Christ or who wants to have a hope of going and staying together with God must read this book. This is primarily for um, every, every, everyone. This has got a lot of uh, academic uh, because uh, because this is a, it's a, it's a book that uh, trigger the interest of the academicians and and pastors um, and uh, theologians and and uh, the scholars uh, both the Christian scholars and the secular scholars but uh, it's intended for everyone uh, what led me to write this book five years back I happened to read the book uh, the historical no the quest of the Historical Jesus is written by a German polymath, Albert Schweitzer. He was a medical missionary to Africa, but the impact of enlightenment changed his worldview. He started writing against Christ and his kingdom. And think about this, a medical missionary. Interestingly, after my book was inaugurated, uh, Reverend David Yardi was there in the program. After the program, he sent me a picture uh, in which you can see uh, his father, Dr. Paul Yari, and Dr. Albert Schweizer together in the picture. Wow. I said, uh, this, is, this is a great connection, but we, uh, the Christian work uh, lost on this man, uh, the man on the left, left side, who was uh, a medical missionary to Africa, but he became a uh, um, Antichrist. In his book, he described Christ as disillusioned and his mission is unreal. He said, Jesus of Nazareth, 
who preached the ethics of God's kingdom, who founded the kingdom of heaven upon earth, is a figure designed by rationalism, endowed with life by liberalism, and clothed by modern theology in historical garb. He also surmised that Jesus was mistaken not only about the time of his parousia, but also about the entire eschatological setting in which he placed the kingdom of Christ. In plain terms, what happened in Jesus' lifetime shows that there is to be no second coming, nor the future eschatological kingdom. This was by Albert Schweitzer. Mm. When I read this, with a lot of discomfort in my inner man, I started looking for an answer among Indian writings, but I found none. Two years back, I met another radical scholar in uh, one of the cities in India, Eastern, Eastern India, who raised similar questions about the deity of Christ and his coming in glory. He said, if Christ was God, why didn't his prophecies come to pass within the time frame that he had set for their fulfillment? Jesus had said, this generation shall not pass away until the Son of Man appears with great power and glory. He was quoting from Mark's Gospel, 13th chapter, verse 30. Why hasn't his prophecies been fulfilled? Why, have, why hasn't the prophecy why hasn't his prophecy been fulfilled within the same generation until now? Again, I tried to find an answer to these questions among Indian writings in our own context, but I was disappointed. I did not find any. Therefore, I prayed to the Lord to help me create this humble work. And here it is, um, you know, uh, in a book form. You cannot see my book, but Jeff can see my book here. <laughs> Jeff can see, and I'm sure that uh, the readers will uh, not just be just, not just be blessed, but it will equip them uh, to present an answer to everyone who asks the reason for the hope that is in us. Uh, well, this this isn't on my list of prepared questions, but having seen you hold up the book cover, I was curious uh, where where did the design for the book cover come from uh did was that an image you had someone do or um why had that specific image of it's uh jesus on a horse i believe and yes uh, Uh, yes that's true uh i i had it made by an artist he designed this book and you have the armies of heaven behind him and jesus riding a horse i don't know it's a real horse or a horse of clouds but it's a horse in the form of horse so. Excellent. Well, with, with the article that will go along with this podcast, we'll include a copy of the book cover. And if someone is listening to this podcast off of Spotify or another podcasting platform, just go to light, lightandlife.fm and you can find the article with the photo of the book cover. You write that, quote, we have also witnessed a grand acquisition of perverted ideas biased understanding, and perplexity in prophetic interpretation. The weird mm-hmm. people's arrogant claims to the absolute truth and their lack of humility to learn have torn Christendom into a thousand pieces, and that ends the quote. Uh, so my question is, having read that, if the overall Church of Christ is already being torn apart, 
Uh, why add a book that might cause further division? Uh, maybe someone who has a, who's a friend of yours or has a lot of respect for you will disagree with some of what you're saying and maybe separate from you further if he or she doesn't agree with something in your book. So why add uh, more, more debate into the mix? Well, this is uh, in this book, Jeff, I have not presented a new idea, right. but I have, I have made a unique presentation of the idea. I am inviting the scholars, the theologians, the church members, uh, the leaders to come together and uh, look into what the first century church believed. Uh, when we look at this, um, the perverted ideas that uh, you are talking about, and many other uh, confused dogmas given to, given to here. I have not discussed this. I have gone to the very uh, origin of that. If somebody talks about the post-millennialism, I'm not talking about this man, but who actually gave the thought to, who, who propounded the theory, you know. If, uh, if somebody talks to me, I have many friends who are, who are pre-trips, uh, who, are, who are pre-trips and uh, they believe in the sixth rapture of the church. I have many good friends. And I'm not talking about that friend and what he's teaching. I'm going back to the very source of that. So I'm saying, why don't you go back to the source where we got our teachings from? I'm inviting them. I want to study together with them. This is the, this is the greatest um, you know, uh, avenues uh, that I'm opening up for them. Inviting them to study together and understand what the apostles taught, what the Lord taught, what the apostolic fathers taught. And how did you get these new ideas, new theories, new doctrines that you have made uh, in the modern times? So it's an invitation to come together and understand. So I'm not, I'm not giving a new idea to them at all. Or this is not something that is adding, confu adding to confusion, but I'm trying to clear the confusion by inviting them to come and study with me what the early church believed, driving them back to the hope of the early church. Well, popular books and movies such as the Left Behind series have promoted a specific premillennial view of the end times, and that viewpoint has been adopted by many evangelical Christians, even if their home churches and denominations are silent on these matters or hold different views. My guess is watching the movie or uh, reading the yeah. book series probably uh, lodges in people's minds even more than what sermons they've heard in their own churches. Um, how do your views about the end times differ from these popular modern interpretations of Scripture? Again, I would say um, I, have, I have read them myself, this book. So actually, it started in the, uh, in the middle of the 19th century. This, um, this, uh, this movement. So it is kind of nascent. Uh, it was not in the church history at all. And then uh, we are not going to talk about these movies and these books left behind series. Again, I say, let's go back to the very source. Who propounded it? Uh, John Nelson Darby in 1830s. And how did he get that? Uh, you had also a great preacher uh, in that time, uh, Charles Spurgeon. He was his contemporary. Okay. And Charles Spurgeon never ever agreed with the, uh, the theories that he was, he was speaking out in the churches. Hmm. Um, 
Uh, he was, both were from Britain and Great Britain, and both were uh, pastors, theologians, and both were pastors, but they did not agree with each other. Now I think, uh, Jeff, uh, they may be having coffee at the same table in heaven <laughs> while we are fighting on their issues. <laughs> uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Middle Ages, like um, in the, um, when, when John Wesley came, there were many who did not agree with John Wesley. Uh, John Calvin, theory, and then uh, you have George White, not Whitehead, George Whitfield. Uh, they did not agree with uh, each other. But it's a revelation to John Wesley. He, he, he profounded what God, uh, what he thought God was speaking to him. Uh, it is not a confusing thing. It is, uh, it is, it is his time, John Wesley's time. He, he wanted to um, reveal what God has revealed to him, to the world. So it's an addition to the, to the, um, this entire, entire sanctification is an addition to what God had revealed to the church. Uh, so it, it, is, it is not any confusion, but we are clarifying those things that are there in the scripture. Excellent. Well, uh, let's, let's talk about uh, the, the context you're in. You, you've already mentioned uh, who, the people who received the book. Uh, as a Christian leader in Asia, do you think most Asian Christians have different expectations for the Perusia than Christians in North America have? If so, what are some differences and the reasons for the differing views? I know, obviously, uh, you spent a lot of time in the United States as well as India, and you've traveled, traveled the globe. So uh, what, what's the differing views uh, on different continents and in different countries? Well, I think uh, the differences are the same, Jeff. Like, John Derby never came to India, but somebody came to India and taught us about the different view of the premillennialism, right? And then uh, postmillennialism is very much in U.S. right now. India, it's not very popular. The other, amillennialism is uh, something that dominated uh, the medieval age for about 1,200 years, so something that was propounded by one of the greatest theologians in the history of the church, um, Augustine, St. Augustine. And now it's a privileged situation to be an amillennialist, you know, the, you know, people think just like uh, just like uh, C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis. Some people quote C.S. Lewis to feel elite, you know. In the same way, some people follow Augustine to be an elite theologian. But we must understand that Augustine himself was a premillennial person. Uh, before he became amillennial. Hmm. So why did he change that stand? I have interrupted a lot in the last chapter of my book why he took, why he changed his worldview, his doctrine, all of that, and it will be a very interesting chapter for all of us to know. This, is, this will be a, a great revelation to many of us who, who will read the book. The, it, is, it is trying to drive us back, drive the readership back to the first century hope of the return of Jesus Christ. Definitely, when we need to embrace that hope. Uh, you devote a chapter of your book to COVID-19. What led you to include the pandemic in the book? And do you think God is trying to teach us something in this challenging time? 
Well, uh, the sermons that I have preached in during the pandemics have been uh, a part of this book. Uh, we had Zoom classes. Um, we had great services during the during the pandemic time because the churches were shut down, closed. We had Zoom services, and uh, hundreds of uh, people would come every Sunday to listen to my um, lectures on uh, on the Second Coming of Christ. Uh, pandemic, everybody thought, or many thought, that this pandemic is God's judgment. You know, in Revelation chapter 6, uh, it talks about the pandemic, that uh, in the last days, uh, uh, the horse, uh, a person riding the pale horse, uh, is, uh, brings about um, the pestilences. And then um, one third of the world, or half of the world, will perish in the pandemic. So many thought that this is one of God's judgments uh, in the last days, and they predicted Christ's coming is quite uh, near, you know, at the end of the pandemic, Christ has come back. So I have tried to, I have tried to explain that, yes, pandemics come, you know, pandemics are things that, that may, uh, that may indicate his coming, but this is not something that was, uh, that was revealed in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 4. I myself had the, I myself had the COVID positive, I suffer from the sorrow even now. We do not understand why this pandemic and why so many losses of lives. Uh, but, but the Lord suddenly is teaching us, waking up the church. If this is not the last sign, last pandemic before Christ's return, um, we should be prepared. If this is one of the pandemics, we should be prepared. But this is a wake-up call, a warning for the church and to the world. I uh, just wanted to check. So you're you're fully recovered from COVID um, and and doing okay now. Is that correct? Yes, I'm doing okay. I suffered for a month and took another month to regain my strength. So I'm I'm quite okay now, in full strength. Excellent. Well, praise the Lord. So thankful for that. Um, and just uh, really was impressed with the timely nature of the book and. Uh, and your willingness to address what's, what's currently happening in, uh, in the book by writing that chapter. And I think that chapter has, is extremely important for uh, people everywhere to read uh, as there's so much fear about uh, the pandemic with the Delta variant and everything else. Um, what else would you like people to know about yourself or your book? I, as I mentioned to you before we started uh, the, the recording here, I didn't want to give too much away in this interview because I do want people to read for the book or read the book for themselves and uh, decide themselves uh, after they're, they're reading your arguments. But what, what would you like people to know? Uh, what, sh what do you think uh, would, would cause them to want to read this book? Well, well, there are groups of people who say that Christ has already come back. Um, they believe that Jesus returned in 70 AD when Jerusalem was attacked by the Roman general Titus. The resurrection of the dead has happened, and all that is prophesied in the book of Revelation um, has been fulfilled in 70 AD, so there is no hope of another second coming. Now, while they say this, 
there are other groups of people who question that Jesus said he would come back within the same generation of the audience that he was addressing um, when he was alive. If he said that, then why he has not come back yet? 2,000 years, more than 2,000 years now, why he has not come back. So that question comes back again and again, century after century, that, that um, demeaning the words of Christ or trying to uh, discount the, the prophecy of Christ. So this is one of the reasons I think why I have focused on this book so much. I have devoted three of the chapters in the book uh, dealing with this issue of why Christ's return has not happened and, and was it a fake thing or was it a real thing? And if he has not returned, why he has not returned? It is not from the scripture. Like I have not given the answer like uh, uh, um, his uh, 10,000, one year, one day is like um, thousands of years and thousands. No, I have not given that answer. I have tried to answer the words of Christ. Another interesting thing that you will find in this book that is whoever wrote about the second coming in the past or now, they have been writing from the book of Revelation or from the book of Daniel. I think this is the first time in Asia somebody has uh, dealt with the words of Christ in the prophetic discourse of Christ. I think this is what makes the book very different. This is, this is primarily based on the prophetic discourse of Christ in the Gospels. Christ was our, Christ is our Lord, Christ is God. When he spoke something, it should not go against or be contrary to what John sees in the Revelation. Or he should not go against what is foretold by Daniel in the book of Daniel. So I have taken him as the center point of prophecy and try to explain what, 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 what is happening. And another thing, very interesting thing is that the people are saying why the, um, the physical, uh, astronomical perturbations uh, did not happen if um, Jesus came back in 70 AD, why those things did not happen? Or is it really going to happen? So I have, I have made a very interesting analogy of that and an answer to that. Uh, people will really find it interesting. I have also um, described the Antichrist. You know, every age has uh, talked about the Antichrist. The first century church had one Antichrist, rather several Antichrists. In the medieval age had an Antichrist. Then now people are talking about one Antichrist. So who is this Antichrist really? I have I've dealt one chapter on that. Uh, it will be a very interesting study. Who is the Antichrist and what is holding him back uh, from a very different perspective than what you hear on the pulpits uh, in the church meetings? What you do not hear in the church meetings, you will find it in this book. Thank you so much, Bishop Lahara. And I encourage everyone listening to go to freemethodistbooks.com and order the bishop's book here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bishop Lahara and Jeff, for this exciting conversation about the day when Jesus will be fully present with us, his children. Remember to see the show notes for a link to purchase your copy of the Parousia Prognosis and help ministries in India by doing so. So thanks for joining us for this episode of the Light and Life Podcast. <laughs>